0: Good morning, and welcome to episode 38 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you for being here. Let's get right into this one. Today's guest is Yuri Schwetz. He is the principal and creative director at Eureka Creative, and that's been rocking since 2013 down in Seattle, Washington. Prior to that, he was at Hornall Anderson for over 10 years. Uh, Before that, he was at a couple of other smaller agencies in the area. Yuri was born in the former Soviet Union. During this interview, we talk about propaganda art, and he shares a crazy story about when the sort of gangsters, the rough kids in the area that he was growing up in heard that he was good at art. They hired him to paint heavy metal band logos on the back of their leather jackets. Crazy. He shares with us also the most inspirational project that he's been a part of so far, and the curveball moment when he turned his career into graphic design, because originally he was heading in the art direction. So I'll let him explain the rest of it. Let's get right into today's interview from Seattle, Washington, Yuri Schwetz. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Good morning, Yuri. How are you today?
1: Good morning, Dave. Doing splendid. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the Quickie Podcast today.
1: Awesome. Glad to be here.
0: Good. You ready for a Quickie?
1: Absolutely.
0: Perfect. Well, let's start with the first question here. Briefly tell the listeners about yourself.
1: Uh, So my name is Yuri Schwetz. Um, I'm a principal and creative director of Eureka Creative, a strategic branding boutique uh, based in Seattle, Washington. And I've been singing my tune since 2013, never looking back.
0: Mm-hmm. And what were you doing prior to you know, starting your own Eureka Creative?
1: So prior to going rogue, I want to say that I've, uh, <laughs> given, I've given enough time working for others to realize it's enough. I've worked uh, for over 10 years at Hornell Anderson. Mm-hmm. Which is a uh, you know premier branding agency, one of the top branding agencies in the Pacific Northwest.
0: It's going to say just a tiny little company down there.
1: Yeah, just a little company. <laughs> yeah, when I started, by the way, it was prior to that I was working at one of the pretty hot boutiques, which was like five people strong and it's uh, heyday. But when I started at Hornell Anderson, I think it was two thousand three ish, they had sixty-five people, and I th- and I thought it was wow, it was microsoft size what but a when change I exited in 2013 i think it was 155 you know what i mean oh my goodness <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's and a decent it, growth
1: curve it's in um, new york as well wow
0: all right well i want to take it back a little bit further then and what was your childhood like and do you feel that you had a creative childhood and what made it that way
1: uh, so, as you probably can detect from my uh, not-so-native-american accent, no, I, I didn't grew up in a <laughs> <way>. <laughs> land far, <laughs> far away, right? So, I grew up in the 80s in um, former Soviet Union, and uh, it was, you know, my neighborhood was pretty rough, I have to say. Um, it was... You know, I grew up with boys, you know, who came from dysfunctional families and, you know, families of alcoholics and crooks. And my mom just tried as hard as she could to keep me away from the streets. So Mm -hmm. she kind of learned pretty early in the game that I have tendencies towards, you know, like, you know, I was probably drawing faster than I could walk, really. (laughs) And so she put me through the art school Like, really, she threw me in an art school, uh, I think I wasn't even six and a half when when she did that, Mm -hmm. just so that I could spend as many waking hours uh, outside the street. Uh, Ironically, though, uh, my first probably, I don't know, interaction with graphic design, because there wasn't such thing uh, called graphic design, it was like when uh, I was already in my teens, Mm Uh, one of the bad boys actually asked me to design well design actually to paint in oil a metallica logo on his leather jacket. And that's oh, how wow. of, like, my race to fame to fame in Russia happened because many bad boys after him like started lining up for me to do you know western crazy logos for like you know all these metal hats.
0: You know <laughs> <laughs> so you so, almost became like the go to artist like for the gangsters.
1: Kinda. I mean, of course, these were like small-time gangsters, but, you know, when I was 13 and 14, I mean, they were like, for me, they were like, yeah, they were capones of our times, you know. (laughs) Uh, I mean, most of them ended up in, you know, in Jewies, and, you know, some people even became like kind of, I'm sure now they're either sadly dead or, you know, maybe somewhat similar to Sopranos families, you know. Goodness gracious. I will never know.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So if you stuck that course, um, you know, you could be in some trouble, but you'd be the guy in prison doing the tattoos for people.
1: More than likely, more than (laughs) likely. But uh, I guess uh, uh, the destiny had other, uh, you know, venues in store for me.
0: (laughs) Definitely. It's all about choices, Yuri. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So that, um, you know, really points us in the direction of how you entered into this creative field. Um but take us back to when you first started noticing design um out in the world. What did you start seeing?
1: Uh well so interestingly enough, you know, design I did not notice for a while. Mm-hmm. So in other words, I had been uh, a fine artist by trade even before I mean I I left for America when I wasn't even uh, 20, so I never actually had to work in Russia mm-hmm. But I was painting and drawing f- through all my teens and up up until I actually left for for the US and So because in Russia graphic design as a discipline officially did not exist It's what fine artists did more like side geeks, you know, like one day you're painting something Next day you are doing propaganda poster for I don't know some high official and then a the third day you might be decorating like uh, some little uh, I don't know like like mom-and-pop uh, Restaurant even though it was still you know all official during the official days. It was all yeah. propaganda based so I didn't even know the names of the things that I, I mean I was doing logos I wouldn't even call them logos, you know, it was all just like graphic arts that I would be doing, but I would wouldn't know like you know what, what like the things like typefaces and things like even official terms like communication, visual communication, that that didn't even register. Mm-hmm. It was just like today I'm using my paintbrush uh, and pastel, and tomorrow I'm using ballpoint pen and markers and I'm doing something else for for somebody else. But I would not call it design and I would not notice it on the street either. Mm-hmm. Not that it wasn't there. It just I it, again, I maybe was too young and too, you know, silly to notice.
0: Yeah. So. so when when you first left um, Russia, where did you land in the U.S.? Like where did you where did you enter the country? And, and sort of what was the the stages after that before you started working at Hornell Anderson? What's that in between period?
1: So I landed in Seattle right away. We had, you know, three choices. You know, it was New York and Los Angeles mm-hmm. as the third choice. And somehow it's those, you know, relatives who actually signed the papers and, you know, gave you some money to start. And that's how we ended up in Seattle versus okay. some cities. And uh, my English was very, very limited. Uh, and But because I drew very well, I immediately went to community college and I just started taking Some, you know, just kind of drawing lessons to like, you know, I was drawing nudes a lot and just just to kind of like kill time while I'm learning English. And uh, so, again, the design thing didn't happen for at least my first two years in America Mm -hmm. because I was still trying to make a living as a fine artist. Yep. I was actually painting a lot, uh, you know, some more wealthy Russians Russian started buying houses moving away from apartments mm-hmm. so these new houses need you know had as you imagine you know many empty walls right so they needed paintings on those walls so I was the guy who was painting you know quite extensively for the first couple of years uh, uh, you know and then I, I got kind of tired of it because you know I'm not gonna do like another pastel just because it's gonna match A color of your couch type of thing you know yeah and so yeah (laughs) so what happened one day um i just discovered that there's other ways to make a living and it could be more sustainable Uh, and that's how i discovered design as a different means of communication and and also i was kind of fed up with uh, elitist kind of kind of attitudes that the art world held Mm -hmm. still does you know And I thought that, wow, there's this this whole new language that is unfolding in front of me I know nothing about. But some people, A, make a living, B, you can reach so much, you know, bigger audience and not just those obnoxious, elitist, you know, rich folks.
0: That's interesting. So because of that sort of elitist attitude that you were encountering in that fine art world, you somehow came across graphic design and started pursuing that then
1: absolutely and uh, I mean that's actually that's that's worse probably telling even though some people may be too young to even know but what Mm -hmm. happened is that um, like I think it was like literally 1995 or 1996 I literally changed my career over a single like day so what happened is that I stumped I was at the library just kind of like because hey, I used to go to American libraries because, you know, wow, suddenly I had so many ac- so much access to art and great mm-hmm. things that we didn't have uh, back home back then, right? And I would be carrying away, like, uh, like 20 kilos of books, like Picasso, <laughs> Matisse, this, that, drawing, because I-, I-, I was just, like, you know, obsessed with the world of art at the time. Yeah. And then, again, I kind of got, I guess, maybe fed up one day, you know, like, it's, things starts overflowing, right? And then I essentially wandered in a d- different section of the library, And I stumbled upon a book called uh, AIGA 6. It was, I think, circa 1994. Well, Mm -hmm. it was already like a little older edition. And I discovered on one of the pages, I actually didn't like much of it, you know, like it looked maybe a little too corporate or whatever. Plus, again, I didn't know much about design, but I was absolutely blown away by two posters that were like so radically different from everything else there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I thought, wow. Wow. I I mean they it, it, it had some magnet, magnetic hold over me so much that I said I need to learn who this person is and I want to do what he does for a living and then I actually found that, that the name it was one of the actually the only probably pieces of artwork on those pages that actually had the name of the person and his name was R. Chantry which is obviously the, the most iconic figure in poster design especially <laughs> Pacific Northwest so uh, and that's like that 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 little like wow realization that you can actually make a living. Of course it didn't know that it doesn't necessarily mean if you're a poster artist you're gonna be rich and famous. you can perhaps be famous but not necessarily rich, you know but that's mm-hmm. the that story I was that that single realization made me sm- switch from you know trying to pursue a career as a fine artist. To literally change course and uh, go into a design, a private design college in, in Seattle, in oh, Seattle.
0: Wow! Now, do you have those posters? Did you seek those out and find hard copies, or at least the pages out of those book to mark that moment for you?
1: Uh, I don't have necessarily these particular ones because I don't have that book. But guess what? After I graduated from from the college. I made it my obsession to actually find that man, and I actually did have an interview with Archie when I just graduated. I actually sent him a letter, and he's the guy who actually never returns calls and never even reads letters. But mm-hmm. I, perhaps my letter was a little different from other people's ret- letters, you know, especially when I mentioned that he pretty much, you know, single-handedly changed my career and my life. You know, he actually did, you know, uh, you know, return my call, invited me in. And had a lovely discussion, and he even gave me uh <laughs> there was like a folio book on him produced in Japan, yeah which I never even saw in the u s and he landed a, like he gave me this week uh, this book for a couple of weeks to read, so I was devouring everything that there was mm-hmm. you know our, our chantry at the time and of course now I have you know tons of his like you know one of the best books that he's ever done uh, i mean th- 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 that were published um uh on him it 's called uh white people can 't surf I believe that 's a great <laughs> book for anybody who loves poster art in general and art chantry specifically
0: yeah, wow, what a story that 's really cool yuri thanks um so you basically just answered the next question, which was what has been the most influential design of your life so far, and it 's safe to say that it 's that poster that you came across in the book.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Which is weird. You know, it's uh, I looking back, I, uh, I go, wow, can a single piece of something can change one man's life? Well, apparently, yes. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> okay, so from that moment where you switched over to graphic design and have been focusing on design now since then, um, what's been the most challenging time in your design career? Uh, why was it challenging? And how did you get through it?
1: Uh, okay, so that's an easy question because I wouldn't be very original here. Uh, during the first, I want to say, first one and a half to two years of me, you know, going rogue, mm-hmm. um, I did not know anything at all about the business side of design. Yeah. Even though I had been working very successfully at Hornell Anderson for a number of years. Uh, my focus had always been on creative, and you know, just like giving a killer creative on demand, you know, for as much as I could, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I loved. I was obsessed with like conceptual design and all that. Mm-hmm. But never ever we were necessarily taught at school the business side of the deal. Yep. And also at Cornell Anderson, that's what you know the strategy department and and uh, sales and this and that. They were dealing with. This, the business side
0: yeah, of that was there
1: right uh and so suddenly i'm i'm here uh in the wild like a you know like a blind puppy <laughs> walking <laughs> in the wilderness of pacific northwest know nothing about the business side and guess what i mean that was brutal right i mean i realized that m- many people may know the work that i've done i had a pretty killer p- portfolio but nobody knew my name I had to start from from a, literally from scratch, with no means and no understanding how to conduct business. So I had to learn, you know, very fast. But that very fast still took about, you know, a year and a half at least. You know, like learning how to write good proposals, how to, you know, do successful business pitch. You know, elevator pitched here, and how to even like, you know, write a, a letter that people will read. You know, like none of it ever I, I had, you know, any practice doing right so that was a moment at time where like there was a lot of dark moments you know moments of indecision why even why i'm even doing it in the first place but of course you know as you go through all this pile of oh my god you you commit to doing it and you know the more you do it you just get better practice makes perfect right
0: totally yeah you get better by failing yep you learn Um, so going through, that was what, 2013, 2014 in that that stretch there. And before we hit record on the call, you had mentioned that you just gave a large proposal or public speaking at the W hotel recently. That's right. Yeah. So what a transformation.
1: Oh yeah, exactly. That was, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. In front of, you know, some like pretty serious, hard ass uh, e-commerce entrepreneurs, you know,
0: hmm good well that's good to hear so I want to then get to I want to give you an opportunity to share a, a couple of designers or brands that you look up to or closely follow and what is it about them that you like
1: so uh, lately I've been you know pretty busy to actually quite honestly even follow somebody like religiously mm-hmm. however uh, for me I mean apart from of course Archantri who who probably will be my design here till kingdom comes mm-hmm. I want to name probably um quite easily uh, Stefan Sagmeister as the most influential designer for me uh, ever since I I I started understanding what the world of design is and mm-hmm. what 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 you have to contribute because his stuff has been so uh the most remarkable the most memorable always conceptual mm-hmm. always not a standard issue and uh and he keeps pushing the boundaries ever since i don't follow him anymore as much you know but i have all his books i know all his design pieces by heart and i cannot highly recommend like you know he, if if, if anybody is a student they need to you know seek out him and and learn anything that made him famous He's definitely a rock star, but he's beyond that. He's just a, a remarkable man and a great designer.
0: Yeah, you know it's hard to argue with those two names as you know staples in the design community for sure.
1: And uh, oh yeah, and uh, and as far as brands, I um, it's not like I'm kind of weird. I, I connect and I disconnect. Like I I cannot like sometimes I wouldn't even like think about any brands at all, and then as soon as I get Let's say a certain consumer brand that I'm actually involved with because it's an assignment suddenly I have to learn about this particular industry particular client mm-hmm. then I suddenly get obsessed and and it becomes interesting so even like the world most important notorious brands like you know Nike, I wouldn't care much unless i'm I'm working on shoes you mm-hmm. know what i mean and and so in that in that case, my obsessions kind of come and go, but there is not like a you know I wouldn't be the one who would say, oh my god, I'm like a uh, you know, die-hard Apple fan. I yeah. respect them a lot. I still think computers cost way too much, yada, 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 you know?
0: Yeah, well, that's a good point. So you'll dive more into the brand side of things if you're working on, you know, starting to research that market for a particular project. That's when you'll dive into that.
1: Exactly. And then I go really deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: um, One thing I wanted to say about uh, Steph Sagmeister that you were talking about is recently on his Instagram, uh, or maybe he's been doing it a while, but I've noticed recently, um, he's been sharing work that is sent to him. And he basically shares the work gives a brief description about what it is, and then he gives his opinion on it and where he sees it could fit in the design community and world. So that's been kind of interesting seeing. Cause that's
1: cool. That's from, cool. That means he also gives kind of, you know, the, yeah. he, 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 he passes to others. You know, he doesn't have to claim his spot under the sun anymore. And he gives young bloodbone more kind of prime time. That's great. That's yes. really, really yeah. Genuine.
0: And that's what I've enjoyed by seeing, um, watching that stuff. So I want to go to a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. And what was that like and how did that feel?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is where like most designers probably would say, oh, I have too many to name. Uh, not true to me. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, I've been pretty successful as far as uh, like winning the client's hearts over. Mm-hmm. Almost like pretty often just at the the, like first round impression Mm -hmm. um that's why i spend so much time on pretty rigorous research and and just like concepting and research take a lot of time that i i do take uh and i never compromise this time but you know things do go sideways now and then and perhaps one of the most notorious one i mean it's it's weird because it started as one of the most fortunate like i i was so fortunate to be part of that assignment so we did a i worked uh, on uh, Tropicana Global, Tropicana Juicy brand Mm -hmm. in, uh, I think it was uh, 2000, uh, I want to say, probably 2011, maybe 2012, I don't remember exactly. But they were ready, like, you know, we were, like, going on a high horse. Oh, wow, they they told us, guys, we are ready for a complete uh, brand overhaul, and we're Mm going to start with the logo, and we're going to end with our entire... Packaging system for, and we're we gonna test it in like four countries, you know, including Mexico and France. And mm-hmm. wow, I mean, Horn Anderson team was ecstatic. I mean, we won a huge, I mean, it was, a, I'm sure it was huge money, huge, I mean, just great visibility wise on all accounts, amazing pro- project. I was super obsessed. All designers, they put some of the best designers on, you know, on this project. We like really worked hard, gave them amazing, amazing set of concepts. Uh, that was kind of like my short time to brag because you know I felt and actually not just me but my concept actually at that time uh, was winning the battle like both inside and outside you know our strategy department loved it all you know creative directors Cornel Anderson loved it the client really really was digging it and I felt like wow I felt super victorious Till something called little, you know, focus groups, groups testing.
0: Thing. Oh, no.
1: <laughs> That's what killed it. It was just so sad. So no matter, like, you know, we had our rationale why it's, an, it's a winning concept. The client actually was pretty warmed about it. Mm-hmm. But there was this one lady, and I think it was in France. And I think, like, th- this lady. So my concept had to do with with the idea of Thrive. And and um I use the hummingbird as a metaphor for it all you know for the for the for the purity of nature mm-hmm. and also how you feel when you like tap onto this you know bounty of nature and and, and great like resource like you know all those you know the, the, the orange and apple juice and da 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 da, da yeah. and you feel like alive and uplifted, right? So hummingbird was a great metaphor for that, we thought, and so it became uh kind of like, uh, not, not necessarily a mascot, but it, 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 it was a very prominent kind of picture mm-hmm. on, through the entire uh, packaging system. Uh, and this lady, I don't know what happened, I, I, maybe she had some um, bad dreams about hummingbirds, maybe she watched too many Hitchcock movies, I don't know, <laughs> but, but she was like, oh my God, she was not ready to have hummingbirds on, on a packaging of orange juice. Yeah. And that's how my dear little butterfly, I mean, my hummingbird died very fast death. Oh, and no. until <laughs> this day, I will never understand like why a, a rationale cannot win over, um, you know, certain very subjective feelings because it's not like 50 people said that, that they have issues, but it was like her opinion and her feelings were so, um, Perhaps visibly uh, like powerful yeah. and that's why maybe you know like we say in design, oftentimes feelings defeat the logic, you know so her feelings pretty much killed a little fragile you know butterflies I mean hummingbird, right and there was nothing that could be done and, and that, that's that's the, actually the lesson that I drew from that is that sometimes. No matter how hard you try and how much thinking you put into something,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it can still derail. It can still go south. But as a designer, you know, you just have to kind of, I guess, uh, I don't know, swim with the punches, as they say, and, yeah. and just kind of like grow a little thicker skin with every project, you know. Oh, so I, just, wow. you know, licked my wounds, I guess, and and I and I uh, moved on. But I will probably carry that to my grave that that I thought this packaging is going to be on every shelf in every store in the world. And now, you know what I mean? And now only you and me will know. And
0: And whoever else listens. Yeah. Uh, So I want to ask one more question on this sort of, um, you know, dark sides, this travel down memory lane here. Um, And I want to know what you are struggling with in your creative career right now.
1: SM or right now, right now, like right now, right now. <laughs> well, um, uh, what am I trying? So the, 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 it's not even necessarily struggling. It's, 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 it's something that as a business, uh, you know, leader of my own company called myself, right? I have to do because I have to wear many hats, right? Yep. And part of the hats that I wear, I have to be my own, uh, you know, social media director and I have to be my own salesperson, right? So the struggle right now is that I have to market myself still, even though it's been six years. Uh and And when I do you know I have to show up at all these parties and I have to do networking I have to do this and, and and then of course you know when you do win the jobs, then you have to do the jobs right so right now how how can I navigate this landscape where I can probably i have to start delegating at some point because there's just not enough you know hours in a day right to to mm-hmm. do so many activities uh and right now it's 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 becoming a little more troubling for me to to again carry on and doing you know consistently and successfully both sides of the business, still doing design that that I can you know really, really you know live or die by and mm-hmm. never compromise the quality, and at the same time of course sell I mean, like pitch to the to the people who, who are willing because I'm pretty premium. My my stuff is not cheap. Uh, my logos are by far much more expensive than the typical freelancers. Uh, logos. So, of course, convincing the clients to pay for that, I mean, of course, also takes longer time. My proposals can be sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. 10 pages long, right? So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're working with the right type of audience. And that obviously takes time, and that's why the struggle right now is how to minimize that time from getting the project and then still having enough time to do the project. (laughs) That's in a, in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. The balance of time being, you know, the solopreneur, but still also creative director and, you know, trying to do the business side of things and the accounting side of things while still putting out great creative and continuing to sell and all that. Yeah. I can see how that would be a a challenge for sure. So I want to switch gears to the positive side, the stuff that's going to make you smile, Yuri. (laughs) What is a, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What's a project you have been a part of that you are the most proud of? One that makes your heart sing or the biggest design feather in your cap?
1: This one probably will be hard to choose because I have, you know, I have quite a few. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, like there's some that are like super high visibility. You know, like I, I've done uh, my very first uh and the most prominent and the most massive scale-wise was uh, rebranding REI back in like a very like, big, I think it was 2003 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that was the biggest imprint on a local design scene because I, we've done so much. So at that time I was working with like brilliant uh, creative director and Lamley Design, David mm-hmm. Lamley. And, and we were the ones who received this, who, who earned that assignment. To rebrand rei you know i don't know how much you guys know about this but you know it's a you know pacific northwest darling everybody loves it yeah you know it's uh you know if you're a mountaineer skier whoever if if you are you it's know that, that brand, right yep uh so for us to to and by the way that this was the project that at that time we won over you know hornell anderson line card other big 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 you know, muscle. You know, branding agency. We got that project when we were only two and a half people strong. You know, uh, so something to be said about, of course, the power of my um, creative director at the time, David, was amazing. You know, being in this project, and so, and then we ended up actually rebranding the whole operation. What was interesting, what why? I loved it. I'm not an, a very outdoorsy type
0: mm-hmm. to
1: begin with, but I again, I dive in deep. I go this kind of rabbit hole. Uh, to really understand what it is that makes people tick about each particular brand, and of course, REI being one of the oldest brands, I think at that time was, uh, I think it was probably, yeah, they started in in 1938, mm-hmm. and everybody loved them. But what people didn't know is that, um, like, approaching early 2000s. They started pretty rapidly losing customers. What happened is that people wouldn't know that because it wasn't visible, but their loyal customers were literally aging out of the equation because they were becoming, let's just say it frankly, a little too old to do all those crazy, you know, outdoorsy activities such as mountain climbing and river rafting and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. So as a result, the membership, you know, REI is a co-op. The membership membership started kind of decreasing. Uh, the sales of their amazing gear and things started kind of plummeting a little bit. And so they hired us to reinvigorate the brand and actually uh, ca- start catering to a much younger audience, all those, you know, future millennials. Also, actually, more like gener- at that time was generation uh, generations X and Y, and so and and the whole brand had to be restructured and rethought, and it was amazing because oh by the way it was my very first branding project, you know, and so I cut my branding teeth doing that. I mean, where do you go from there, right? So a great so it project was very, to cut your
0: teeth
1: on! <laughs> yeah. wow. they received like, tons of awards. It was probably the most influential as far as. Uh, I mean, probably after that, you know, uh, like a year later for me, probably getting uh, a design position at Hornell Anderson probably became pretty easy because my portfolio was so strong, you know. Uh, But for me, again, it was more about why I love design is that just yesterday I wouldn't know anything about REI. And then even though I lived in Seattle, but, you know, I, again, I wasn't really touched by that experience. And then a week later i'm so deep into the project i'm actually researching and looking at, at the rei founders like archives and diaries you know mm-hmm. from like 1930s and 40s i mean that's pretty amazing you know that does happen every day so of course that also for me as a designer who goes deep into the kind of digging truths mm-hmm. and i kind of try to carry it along for any project regarding you know re- regardless of the size or scope you know yeah,
0: and that is a great one yuri I like that. REI rebrand. Uh, I got one last question here that I want to squeeze in, but what is one design product, tool, website, or community that you can't live without?
1: Uh, Let me think. Let me think. Okay. So let's say if (laughs) if I were left on an island, right, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: with nothing but, you know, some food to feed me and water um, and a pretty steady Wi-Fi connection, Mm-hmm. and you know, my laptop, yada, yada, yada. I think I could probably squeeze by quite successfully uh, just by having Adobe Illustrator.
0: Adobe Illustrator.
1: just Adobe Illustrator, not even Photoshop, and not even InDesign, I'd be able to do logos, uh, posters, and even brochures. I mean, I wouldn't recommend necessarily Illustrator to do brochures, but if you have nothing else, you can still do it. You know what I mean?
0: There it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So that's why that would be my weapon of choice. Uh, of course, since I'm not on an island, I, I pretty fully, you know, use the, the, the entire core Adobe Suite. Um, uh, but but that, this little program, I think it grew up quite quite a bit. I used to hate it because I, was, I used to be a hardcore freehand user till they killed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, you know, I've been using uh, Illustrator for so long now. This is my lifeblood. So,
0: yeah. Awesome. Another great one. Yuri, thank you so much for your time on the Quickie Podcast today. That's all the questions I got for you.
1: Thank you, Dave. It's been my pleasure.
0: All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Quickie Podcast today. I really appreciate it. That was our guest, Yuri Schwetz from Seattle, Washington. What a story about his childhood and how he you know, avoided going down the path of so many other kids in the area that he grew up. Just crazy. I, I couldn't even imagine being in that position. But um, yeah, I'm glad he could share it with us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much for listening. Have an awesome day.